One of my favorite stories growing up was about when my mom and dad were dating. They're two very strong-willed people. And one day they were out and playing pool. And my dad had a pool cue in his hand and my mom had her foot down and my dad said, I'm going to drop the pool cue down hard. Move your foot. My mom says, I'm not going to move my foot. Don't drop the pool cue down. And my dad said, I'll tell you this one more time. I'm going to drop the pool cue down hard and if your foot's there, it's going to get broken. My mom said, I'll tell you this once. I'm not moving my foot. If you drop the pool cue, you're going to break my foot. Well, guess how the story ended. My mom had a broken foot. Why is that one of my favorite stories? Well, because it has everything to do with Romans 11. And you say, how does that have what to do with Romans 11? Your parents must have some issues. They're married almost 50 years somehow. My mom did have surgery on that foot two years ago. Just uh, That's a true story from the pool injury. Somehow she put up with my dad. But what happened there was my mom and my dad didn't believe that the either one meant what they said and would do what they said they would do, right? Well, how often do we not think that God means what he says and will do what he says? Well, well, let's see. Romans 11, starting in verse 11, and our focus is going to be on verse 22. So I asked them, did they stumble in order that they might fall? We're talking about Israel. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order that somehow, in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is a whole lump. If the root is holy, so are the... But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, and don't be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root who supports who? Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. Y'all listening now? For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has a power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what was by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is the word of the Lord. This is some scary stuff. Why did Israel stumble? First, notice that they stumbled, they didn't fall. You see that right there at the beginning of the section? You know the difference between stumbling and fall? Pride comes before what? The fall, not the stumble. Israel, true Israel, stumbled, not fell. They stumbled for a purpose. And we see three of them here. That salvation might come to the Gentiles, amen? 
The Gentiles would be entrusted with the gospel. We would have the church. Two, Israel would be made jealous, and by this jealousy would desire to follow God for salvation. Jealousy in a positive sense. Admiration, emulation, desiring to follow. And what's the third one? Blessing would come through to the world, through evangelism, through the visible church, through salt and light. Well, there's a purpose that God shows us here, and we'll touch on it, but we're not going to dig into it too deep. We see a process. We see dough. We see a root. We see branches. It has to do with cultivation of an olive tree. You know how olive trees are cultivated? Danny's going to do a, a demonstration for us. Did you bring the tree? Oh, I said, I, she's quick. She's, I'm coming over to this side. That's, that's a fine-tuned lawyer. I'm not, I'm not messing with her again. Olive trees have branches. And when branches don't bear fruit, the branches get cut off. And they graft a new branch in, in waiting, if you will, from a wild shoot of an olive tree onto that olive tree. It ties in through the trunk to the root to draw nourishment, and those wall of shoots, wild shoots, bear much fruit. So what he's talking about here, wild shoots, is that by grace through faith, you were grafted into the trunk from which I'm a true branch. See, but I can't get proud, can I? And you can't get proud either, can you? Because you're all there by grace through faith to the root of the seed of Abraham, Drawing the nourishment of the covenant of salvation by grace through faith. Amen? Now, he talks about dough, and that's going back to Numbers, and it's dealing with first fruit offerings. And Abraham was the first fruits of the salvation people. He was, he was pulled off to show that everything was for the Lord and would be done. Let me put it this way. When you made bread in Israel, you pulled off a piece of the dough. You brought it to the temple and you gave it to the priest. As an offering to God saying, I consecrate the whole loaf to the Lord that he might use it to nourish me for his glory. You can go and look at 1136 if you want to see where it ties in. Right? What does that say down there? For from him and through him and to him are what? Now, some things. We got to keep some for our... Oh, all things? To him be glory forever. Amen. And the point is that God pulled a first fruit offering to himself in the form of Abraham to consecrate all of his people through the Abrahamic covenant. Do you see where we're going here? We're recapping 9, 10, and 11. Well, then he gets into this crazy, crazy stuff. And I want to spend some time here today, and I want to dialogue. So if you all feel like uh, asking a question or, or pushing back, don't hesitate unless it's a bad one. <laughs> But what the heck? Who's attached to the true trunk to nourish from the root? Who are those people? Saved people. Jews, right? The the tree is a Jewish tree, and Paul has hammered the point that if you've trusted in Christ, you're an adopted Jew. Do you catch me there? I was born and raised Jewish. I'm a national Jew. And a true Jew, because I'm from the remnant. Who here has been adopted into God's family? You a Jew too. You're an adopted Jew. And Paul's driving home the point, there's no place for anti-Semitism in the house of God because you a Jew. How could you hate a Jew if you a Jew? You follow me? Interestingly, I was suspended from from school for (laughs) anti-Semitism. This is an absolute true story. Got in a fight with a friend of mine named Yoav. Ended up breaking his nose. Got him help, went to the principal, got suspended. 
He said, who do you think you are fighting with a Jewish kid? What are you, anti-Semitic? I don't know. Got sent home. My mom, Jonathan, you're suspended for anti-Semitism. I said, I know. I said to my mom, what is that? How could you hate Jews? I said, that's ridiculous. How could I? She drags me into school. She tells the principal, my son is Jewish. He says, oh. <laughs> he did have a strange look on his face when I said it. So I got to do in-school suspension with Yoav. Anyway, I digress. There's no place for anti-Semitism in the household of God because you all true Jews too. True Jews true Jew too. <laughs> Amen. What am I doing here? What are we talking about? But now he says... Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So the remnant is preserved. Remnant of Israel, right? Romans 9, Romans 10 is preserved to the trunk. Those who are not part of the remnant are cut off of the trunk. Amen? Church, listen to me. Listen to me. The church is not saved by being the church. There's a remnant in the church. God will cut off from within the church. Listen to me. Those who are not connected to the vine. You following me? The largest mission field in our time and in our place, listen close, are people who are connected to a church who are not connected to Christ. Do you hear what I said? Those who are connected to a church and not connected to Christ are the people it's speaking of when it says, otherwise you too will be cut off. Boom. God wouldn't cut people off from his church, would he? Somebody say, Pastor, can you show me that in Scripture? Pastor, can you show me that in Scripture? Yeah, Mia, thanks for asking. You know, why don't you all follow her example, except in the object talks in the bags. If you could... Who, who's all fired up at the book of Revelation? I get asked all the time, Pastor, can we do Revelation? We're going to do Revelation. But I don't know why people like it so much. You ever read Revelation 2? 15 and 16? Check that out. You know who Jesus is talking to? The church. And you know what he says in Revelation 2, 15 and 16? Anybody there? Nobody there? What does it say? So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Keep going. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of, sword of my mouth. Um, I'm just saying, if you want to understand biblical imagery, Jesus is talking about often some folks in the church cutting off the branch. Sword from my mouth. You ever read Revelation 3? 16 and following? Some about lukewarm folks. You know what Jesus does to lukewarm folks? Spit them out. Lopping a branch. Revelation 17 is all about the coming judgment of the apostate church. The condemnation and judgment on the apostate church. Listen to me. I hate this text. I love this text because it's a promise. And it's either of glory or destruction. If you... Huh. How we want to take this? How do you know if you're going to be cut off? What do you have to do to not be cut off? It says right here in the text. Continue in what? 
in his kindness. If you are not following Christ, if you are not enduring to the end, if you are not obeying the will of God, if you are not said more clearly, loving God and loving others and marking every area of your life, you're going to be cut off. Who can do this? Who, can lo who loves God perfectly? Who loves others perfectly? Who's fully submitted to the lordship and headship of Christ in every area of your life? Turn back a couple pages to Romans 7. You see what Paul says in Romans 7? Oh, what a wretched man I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. You follow me here, folks? You must endure to the end in loving God and loving people at all times or God will lop you off. So who will not be lopped off? Only those who have been saved by grace through faith. Follow me here. Keeping rules don't save you. Being born anew does. How do you cause yourself to be born anew? How do you cause yourself to be born anew? Amen. You hear him? Say it again. You don't. How is one born anew? By grace, through faith. My friends, the cruelest thing you can do is interact with a person who says, I am a Christian, I go to a church, and assume they're saved. Now, now don't go getting all legalistic on me. I'll show you by way of example. Good morning, what's your name? Warren, Rich. Rich, nice to meet you. Are you a Christian, Rich? Yes. Do you go to a church? Yes. Well, you're probably not saved. Is that what you do? How, how can I know if Rich is saved? I'm picking on him because it's an easy test case. You live life alongside someone in a local body. And do you know what you notice in one another's lives? Stuff hanging off the branches of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sometimes you don't notice much. Sometimes you notice a lot. But one of the gifts we have for one another is to encourage one another not only to walk with Christ, but that we are walking with Christ. And sometimes as people don't walk with Christ, you know what we must do in love? Hey, Rich, come back and walk with me as I walk with Jesus. And if he's saved, you know what he does? By the power of the Holy Spirit, he comes back through the gospel and walks with Jesus. Amen? And sometimes people don't want to walk with Jesus and they just disappear. So the American church had this great idea. How do we save people to something other than Jesus? What attracts people to the church? And the answer when it's not Jesus is something idolatrous and people who are attracted to a church for any, listen to me, for any other reason other than, other than a, a wonderful pastor. A nice cold room. No, scrap that. Anyone who is attracted to a body of believers for any reason greater than the glory of God in Christ Jesus is connected to the wrong thing. Amen? Amen. It does not mean that we may not be connected to idols here and there, but the preeminence of Christ and Him crucified becomes the greatest thing in our lives, little by little. Amen? Think about this. Who's Paul talking to? Look at, look at verse, what is it, 13? He's saying, 
I am speaking to you Gentiles. What is he doing? I'm talking to y'all Gentiles in the church of God in Rome, the overwhelming majority of the church. And he says, listen to me, Gentiles. We got any Gentiles here today? This is one of the, one of the only times it's privileged to be a Jew in, in, in any setting, in a culture. But there's no privilege. I read 9 and 10. It's all by grace through faith. He's saying, guys, listen. Don't you all get big-headed, pig-headed, and arrogant. Because pride comes before a fall. And for you to, to look at these Jewish people and say, Ha! You got cut off, we got put in. Hold back, champ! Because you ain't even a true branch. You're a wild olive shoot, grafted in by grace through faith. Don't get all big-headed and pig-headed on us now, Paul's saying. Say, remember where you came from, and understand this, that they got lopped off for your benefit, but for their benefit also. It says, so that by jealousy we'll have their full inclusion. What's that mean? Come back next week. God's got a perfect plan. And he says, now be careful... Be careful you've understood the gospel. He's talking to the church in Rome. Be careful that you understood the gospel because there are people in the church of God in Rome who are in the church of God in Rome for the wrong reasons. You know, Jesus says in the gospel to a group of people, away from me I never knew you. Who's he say that to? A bunch of heathens didn't go to church, right? Who'd he say that to? I give you a hint. But, but Lord, didn't we do many mighty works in your name? They call him what? Lord with their lips. They did many mighty works. He says, away from me, I never knew you. Why? You were never connected to the trunk. You never truly loved God and loved others. You're all about works and personal benefit. It's kind of upsetting, isn't it? So, so how do you know if you're going to be lopped off? Let me tell you, do enough good works and give enough money and the odds are high you'll be left on. I'm glad you all laugh because that's flat heresy. How do you know if you will be connected to the trunk for all of eternity? Romans 8, didn't we talk about assurance of salvation? Wasn't that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer? Aren't we saved by grace through faith? And we saw in Romans 9 and 10 that God's word never changes. God never breaks a promise. God never rejects his people and he is totally trustworthy. Amen. Doesn't Jesus tell us, I will never leave you nor forsake you when speaking to his people? So how do we reconcile these things that somebody going to be cut off, but other people will endure to the end, provided that you continue in God's kindness? How do we reconcile this? Well, I hope someone can answer that or we're going to have an awkward ending. I bet I can answer that. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence in Him firm to the end. Why these conditions? Why can't we just have no conditions of evidence of salvation? You know what the conditions are? This is where it gets beautiful. Romans 8.30 I hope I'm right yeah and those listen to it let let this ring in your ears and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified listen Romans 9 was all about divine election 
If God elected you for salvation before the foundation of the world, you are elected to eternal life by grace through faith. Do you follow me there? Philippians, what is it, 1? 6, he who began, listen, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.8, God will sustain you. He will never ever let the righteous fall. Let the righteous fall. No, oh, I have to say it twice because I memorized that to a song. God will never let his people fall. Look at the beginning of this text. Why did Israel fall? Is that what it said? Who's awake over there? Israel didn't fall. You know why Israel didn't fall? Because the remnant cannot fall because God causes the remnant to endure to the end. Amen? Amen. Church, listen to me. Listen to me. The promise of Scripture is the church will grow in apostasy until the fullness of time when Jesus returns. He will rip his remnant out of the church and bring destruction and wrath on the apostate church. You don't believe me? Read Revelation. It's not such a fun book. That's Revelation 17. We need to understand there is corruption in the visible church. Hopefully not so much in our visible church. Though beware. It's a joke. Laugh. Beware. It's not. But go to the kind of Christian bookstore out there and see what's selling well. That's John Calcaterra's term I stole from him. The kind of Christian bookstore. I'm part of a pastor's group. And there are a series of churches in this right now caught up in this ridiculous false teaching that's permeating the area for some reason, which is a prosperity gospel junk. And what saddens me is that, by and large, what happens is the focus becomes on how do you grow a business? How do you get people to come? How do you keep people? How do you work a demographic? And you know what works? Stuff other than Jesus. Because Jesus is only attractive to those who are truly born anew. Jesus' benefits are attractive to all people. Remember, there were crowds that followed Jesus. But then what did he say to the folks who just wanted the benefits? He said, get out of here. Remember, every time he had a big crowd following him, he'd say something, teach something, do something along the lines of, you just want free food and a show, right? Get out of here. I call people to die to self. And here's the scary thing. The devil works in this predatory manner where he draws two types of people into these settings. Genuine believers who will stagnate in immaturity till the day Jesus calls them home. And lost people who think they're saved because they're connected to a church. Now listen to me. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of the fact that we don't steal sheep. You follow? Do you know what I mean by that? We, that's why we only have the moon bounce once or twice a year. But let me tell you something. I'm a big fan, after I read this chapter, that we need to protect abused sheep. We need to protect malnourished sheep. We need to protect sheep that are being fed poison and lost people that are being fed lies. I had a a gentleman come to me a couple years ago and tell me, Pastor, I'm so excited. He was only around for a couple weeks. Probably has something to do with me. Pastor, I'm so excited. I, I, I became a Christian this week. I said, well, tell me about it. That's wonderful news. Oh, I was, I was reading this book and listening to this podcast by this guy named Blank. Shiny white teeth, big place, a lot of books. I'll let it go there. Maybe that's the upside of being a prosperity gospel preacher is you get nicer teeth. 
Anyway, I'm so excited. I never knew this was what Jesus was like. Well, what do you say to someone like that? You've got to lovingly find a way to say, well, that's kind of not what Jesus is like. He's better than that. Here's the evangelistic opportunity. Here's the here's joy and the promise that comes from all this. Listen to me. The only way you can be sure you will remain connected to the trunk and thus to the root is this. Listen closely by understanding that you can't do it on your own. You following me there? You cannot maintain your salvation with God on your own. You are a hot mess. You are riddled with sin. Your humanness abounds. And if you want to go on your own merit, you got a problem. But when you are saved, you grieve sin. You desire the glory of God and you cry out, Jesus, help. And now you understand what it means when Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Not in doing his will, in doing the will of God. You don't say, I want to be a, I want to be a world conqueror and I can do it in Christ. No, Christ conquered the world. But you can glorify God in the power of Christ Jesus. Jesus came to heal sick people. He came to fix broken people, but he came to do it for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let me ask you this. How often do you forget in your life to care about the fact that God saved you to love him and love others? When you woke up this morning was the first thought that came into your mind, how might I love the Lord today and love others for his name's sake? And I know the answer is probably no. Your first thought was probably, darn, what do I have to do right now? Listen to me. God offers a gift. God says, live, have joy, have peace, love me, love others. Slow it down and ask yourself questions. Why are you doing what you're doing? Well, come, what, what day is today? Sunday. Forgive me. Come tomorrow morning. You're going to wake up and you got Monday staring you in the face, right? Everybody loves Monday. Remember? Just another man. Anyway. You got things to do. You, you got things to chase down. You got goals to accomplish. But what if you slow down and ask this question, why? Oh, watch how this ties into our conversation in Sunday school today. This is marvelous. Jesus says, come to me, all who are hungry. Come to me, all who thirst. And too often in our Romans 7 self, you know what we do? Nah, this looks better over here. How's that working out for you, he says. And here's the beauty of what this is saying. The evidence of salvation is that even as you run over to here to eat the world's junk, there is evidence in your life of a love for God and love for others so that you keep coming back home. Do you hear me there? Someone asked the question, it was a, actually it was Rich's question that led to a great discussion that's continued in a variety of settings from, from last Real Conversations. No more questions from Rich. I want to be careful with this question here. But the, the gist of it were tied into in these parallel conversations. What about all those people who've left over the past year? Renee, we've been here, done that before, haven't we? Renee's been around for a little while. I think Renee was around since the church was about nine months old. And, and let, let me caveat this by saying there are people who leave the church for God-honoring reasons. There have been a number. We could list a number. I think of Barbara first and foremost, Ken. We could keep going on and on. 
I'm sure that, that there are people who have left the, the church because of sin in the church. I would venture in the number of years I've been pastoring here, I probably offended someone unnecessarily. Maybe just once. It was probably myself. But, but listen, the majority of time, and this has nothing to do with the quality of your pastor or the quality of your church. This has everything to do with the grace of God. People leave because they're not interested in following Jesus too closely. And let me be careful with this too. Because at times there can be believers who become cast in sin that don't want to follow Jesus for a time. And then there's a shame that comes with that which makes it difficult for those people to come back. At other times there are people who just never wanted to follow Jesus at all and they're rocky, thorny people. And here's, here's what happens and here's what we need to be attentive to. What's the solution? It's the gospel. And how do we help believers from shipwrecking their faith? We share the gospel with them. How do we help, help lost people come to faith? We share the gospel with them. How do we walk in the light of the truth of the faith? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Here's the thing. All through life, your humanness and the devil and the world are going to be trying to pull you this way and this way and this way. And you're going to have conflict and strife and turmoil. And we need to slow down, church. And we need to understand the magnificence of who God is. The magnificence of who we are in Christ and how we became such in Christ. And then we need to truly love God and love one another. As we live life alongside one another and build relationships with one another so that we might mutually encourage one another. Remember why Paul wanted to come to Rome? You're like, Pastor, that's 39 Sundays ago. <laughs> I don't even remember why he wanted to come to Rome. Do we talk about that? But go ahead and, and look back in Romans 1. And this is a man who wanted to encourage and be encouraged by the body of believers. You know why? Because even an uppercase A apostle needs encouragement. We need encouragement from one another. And the encouragement is the gospel. And loving one another in Christ is encouraging one another to trust Christ. And as we trust Christ, we have life in His name. As we submit to His rule and we bear fruit and we praise God. The cruelest thing we can do... Listen, Charlie was reading a book. This kind of put, me, put my faith in perspective. He was reading a biography of Albert Einstein. And he comes downstairs yesterday morning. He was a little bit teary-eyed. I said, what's wrong? But he said, I just finished the Albert Einstein book. And I'm going, what the heck is sad in that book? You know what this boy says to me? Dad, it's so sad that people die. People shouldn't die. It's so sad that sin came in the world and people die. You know, that's how biographies end. People die. He said, but Albert Einstein was a Jew. He says... There's a difference between a Jew and a saved person, isn't there? I said, yeah. He said, like, true Jews and not true Jews is what he calls it. I said, yeah. He says, I said, what do you think Albert Einstein was? He says, well, I don't know, but didn't seem to be a true Jew because he didn't seem to talk about Jesus anywhere in this book. Now, we prefaced it that we don't know Albert Einstein through the book. But my boy was sad because Albert Einstein died and didn't show any evidence of trusting Jesus in his book. How often do you read a biography and feel grief that way? 
How often do you look at lost people and feel grief that way, that if they were to die, they die apart from the trunk and the root, and they spend eternity separated from God? How often do you fail to love people enough, even those who are attached to a church? And you can even start here. I'll give you a little dirty secret. Ready for this? There are non-believers who gather in our midst. Shh. Shh. I would go ahead and say it's a safe assumption that over the, the, the 13, 14, 15 years of our church, that we've had a lost person here. What a shame if we miss that opportunity to grow relationally with people, to love them and share the gospel with them. Amen? What about those friends you have who, who go to church? Do you ever stop and love them enough to ask them about their walk with Christ? And don't do it in the Pastor John way. Do it in the kind, neighborly way. Just get to know people. Find out what's, what's preeminent in their life. Find out what their joy is, where their hope is, how they came to be born anew. And praise God with them as you see that they are. But how marvelous if you kept going so their biography might end differently if they didn't know Christ. And as Charlie and I talked about it, there will be a day when biographies don't have an ending. Amen? There will be a day when the, the, the ending can't be done because life doesn't stop. We have eternity set before us in Christ Jesus where we can make the intelligence of Albert Einstein look like dog play. Do you understand what we will be in Christ? Do you understand there will be a day when there is never a goodbye but only hello? Do you understand Jesus came to conquer death because death is not the way it's supposed to be? And the way we're saved from death is by grace through faith. And Paul has built for 11 chapters all the way up to this point. He said, God has so loved the world. You're like, Pastor, that's John 3. Yeah, they all tie in together. He says that God loves the whole world that while we were still sinners, that's Romans, Christ died for us. And he died for us as a propitiation for our sins so that God who had his back turned toward us through Christ would turn towards us and before us and we have peace with God. And as we understand positionally who we are in Christ, this admonition isn't a promise of danger but a promise of joy. And read it now in light of this. Don't be arrogant, I'm in verse 18. Don't be arrogant towards the branches. If you are arrogant, remember, it's not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. You understand that? What that means is, you know what maintains you in your salvation? is not you, it's the root. It's by grace through faith. And that root is a Jewish root. You are saved by a Semitic covenant. And he says... You'll say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. Now, now stop and, and allow that to humble you. Listen, Gentile friends, Gentile brothers and sisters, allow that to humble you for a moment. Natural branches were broken off so that you, a wild olive shoot, might be grafted in. You remember Jesus was having dinner, and there was this, this woman, we call her Syrophoenician, and Jesus says, what are you doing here? Paraphrasing it out. There's no place for you at this table. You know what, remember what the lady said? But even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. Allow that to humble you for a moment. 
We are nothing but dogs invited by grace to the table of the master. And he doesn't pet us and rub our ear. You know what he says? Get up here and sit next to me. Sit at the the seat of honor beside me because you are my son. How'd you get that seat? By grace through faith. Let that humble you out. Amen? They were broken off because of their unbelief. That's Romans 10, willful unbelief. But you stand fast through what? Faith. Not stand fast through works. Stand fast through faith. Do not become proud, but fear. This is godly fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Meaning, how were the Jews saved? How did they think they were saved? By self-righteous legalism, right? They didn't know God, they didn't know the righteousness of God, and they didn't know the provision of God. You can go back and listen to that one. How are visible but lost Christians saved? Well, they're saved by church attendance and works. They fall in the same trap of the Jews. You know why? They didn't know God, they didn't know the righteousness of God, and they didn't know the provision of God. That's why they're lopped off, and that's why they would be too. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note, then, the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have not stumbled but fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Now, I don't want you to leave here going, well, but this is scary because how do I know if I'm going to continue in his kindness? Go back and read Romans 8.30. If you've trusted in Christ, here's the promise. You will continue in his kindness. You don't have to lose sleep over this. If you take a live fish and dump it in the water, guess what it does? You ever try this experiment? Take a fish, throw it in the water. What do you think? We'll make a hypothesis. What will the live fish do when it hits the water? Booyah! Now, do you think the fish is going, I hope I can swim, I hope I can swim, I hope I can swim, I hope I... He just swims. Here's another one. When a baby, you know, babies in the mom, do you know they breathe fluid? This has always blown my mind. Babies in utero breathe fluid, amniotic fluid. When they come out, do you know what a, a healthy baby does? Breathes what? Air. Do you think the baby's going, how do I do this, how do I do this, how do I do this? Breathe. Then they yell, then they cry. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know what happens when a Christian person is born anew? They begin to walk with Christ. A little tiny bit of love for God shows up and a little tiny bit of love for others. You don't have to muster it up. You don't have to strum it up. It's just there. Then you get to nurture it. So when it says, provided you continue in his kindness, see that as a promise of joy. Because if you have been born anew, you will continue in his kindness. Amen? And it says, otherwise you too will be cut off. And if they, even if this is marvelous, if they do not continue in their unbelief, the Jews will be grafted in. Do you see the grace and the mercy of this good, good God? They'll be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let me shut it down here. I notice a couple common themes here that I don't want to just let go by. There's so much meat in this text. Paul was the apostle to the what? Gentiles. But Paul was what? And he says here that I marvel in my position as an apostle to the Gentiles, right? Right? 
Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Why? Don't miss this. What was God's process for saving Paul's people? It says right here in verse 14, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Paul says, I praise God that I get to be an apostle to the Gentiles because God has foreordained that by the Gentiles coming to faith, he will muster up jealousy in the Jewish people and cause them to come to faith in him through the gospel. Do you see that? I don't want you to miss this, guys. Trust the process. Trust God's process for how to grow in your faith, how people come to faith. Don't let the world distract you from not only what joy is, but where salvation comes from. Trust the process. And what's the process? Well, look at Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen close. There are consequences to how you live and why were you saved so that you might live as a holy nation and a royal priesthood because as you do, God will give you opportunities to proclaim his gospel as his people who are visible and evident. Amen? Amen. The way you will do this is by understanding who you are in Christ. And I want to challenge you guys. I don't want you just to come here and get for yourself on Sundays. I'm I'm good with that in part. We all need to be cared for and fed and nourished through the Word of God. And I'm thankful that that we have the Holy Spirit to feed and nourish us, because if it depended on me, you'd get a lot of junk and nothing would stick. You know, know, my my job in in preaching is really nothing than being a busboy who goes to the kitchen and takes what God's cooking and hopes to deliver most of it without dropping all of it. I hope I got at least a little platter of something to you today. But I don't want you to miss this. Your salvation isn't about you. It's not about you. That's why I hate that expression about a personal relationship with Jesus. Right? How many times we talked about that? It's first a corporate relationship with Jesus. But it's a relationship with Jesus for the glory of God. Guys, people will ask, how many times have I used this quote from Alistair Begg where he annoyed me 25 years ago? Right? If you're not sharing your faith, you probably don't have a faith to share. It takes me like three, four decades to get there fully, apparently. But listen to me. If I think salvation's about me, I'm never going to share the gospel. I'm going to worry about maintaining my own happiness. But when I understand the flip is the only way to find happiness is not to look for happiness, but to walk with Jesus, to love God and love others, then you find happiness by glorifying God. Listen to me here. There's a tree. And they're going to be branches lopped off and burnt up. And if we really, really love people, we need to tend to how we live these lives that God entrusted to us. For His glory, not ours. According to His plans, not ours. And I'll give you this too for next week. You know something about God's plans? Oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. We need to have that attitude in Christ Jesus with how we live these lives. And in light of doing that, we need to be fervent and prayerful and attentive in sharing this good news of great joy with lost people. Who are the lost people? They are everywhere. But Paul points to an evangelistic mission field here called the church. What if we loved one another enough 
to share the gospel and encourage us as believers. And then go and engage with those who, who are identifying themselves with the church visible and invite them into the church invisible. What if we went to true Israel by finding them in the... What if we went to national Israel and prayerfully shared the gospel with the remnant of Israel? See, the problem I have with this text, and I'm done, I'll close here. There's so much meat in here. It's about four sermons. But the big takeaway is there's a promise in there, isn't it? And the promise is based on providing you continue and endure to the end. And what I want all of us to take away from this is to be humble, to be encouraged that God is exactly who he says he is, that God will do exactly what he says he will do, and that we are who he says we are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, that you would take what was from you today and plant it deeply in our hearts. I pray that what was for me would be quickly forgotten. Lord, I pray that we might marvel at the goodness and grace of you. At the fact that you offer salvation to whosoever will believe. The gospel is an open invitation to all people. And Lord, we just marvel at the fact that that is so not fair. That is called grace. That no matter what anyone has done, total forgiveness is offered in Christ Jesus. And not just forgiveness, Lord, but life in your name. And for those of us, Lord, who have trusted in you, I pray that you help us see far more clearly the gift that we've been entrusted with in this new life in Christ. A life that will endure to the end because you will cause it to endure to the end for your name's sake. And while there is hard work on our part to be done, while there is disciplining of the body, while, while there is denying self, while there is dying to self, Lord, what a gift that we can praise you for that we will do that because you will bring it about for your name's sake. And Lord, I pray that we would be attentive in this very strange time that we read about real, real clearly in, in Revelation 17. That, that the church has become corrupted, as you said it would. That there are false churches that abound, that, that false doctrine has crept into many churches, and any one of us is susceptible to it. Lord, there is no place for pride in the kingdom of God, but there is a place, place for love. And I pray, Lord, that you might give us opportunities to truly love one another by sharing the gospel and encouraging in the gospel with all. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in the fact that by your power we were grafted into the tree or kept in the tree eternally. And I pray that we would bear much fruit and through the work of cross-pollination Holy Spirit, you might use the gospel aroma that comes from our fruit or from the proclamation of our mouths and grab wild shoots to graft in or even true branches. Lord, we thank you that your plans are perfect that your way is true, and that we are yours by grace through faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before we close, we're going to uh, take communion. And uh, apologize if I was a little...